This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. We watch for it. We feel for it. We listen for it. Sometimes we try to restart it. Sometimes it's the last sign of life. Sometimes it's the first. We know that as long as we have a heart beating, there is life, there is hope. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the streams of life. You know, as I was making this sermon, one of the words that kept coming up at the beginning was the word regrets. If you listen to that song and you got caught up in the lyrics of that song, um, you couldn't help but come up with that word, even though it was nowhere in the song. It's what the song was about. As I was praying about that, I realized a couple of things. Number one, It's God's desire that you and I would live life without regrets. Did you know that? It's not God's desire to make you feel guilty. It's not God's desire to put you down. It's God's desire to lift you up. It's God's desire that you and I could live life in such a way that when we came to the end of our life and we looked back, that we wouldn't have those big regrets. Now, they tend to come from two sources. We all know some people that only live half a life. And they do so because they live in fear. And they're afraid to try things. And they're afraid to go places. And they're afraid to do things for who knows what. Maybe fear of failure. Maybe fear of the unknown. But they just kind of live a very, very small and cloistered life. And and, and really, in the end, they gave away half of their life to fear. That's a pretty easy way to end up regretting life or to have regrets in life. But I think a far larger number of people have regrets in life not because of what they didn't try, but because of what they did. Because they tried things they never should have. Somehow they were convinced by somebody that God was not on their side. And the things that God clearly labeled sin, they somehow became convinced that those things were actually good and that it was an unkind God who would somehow restrict them from that kind of behavior. So they jumped in to that kind of behavior only to find themselves now having all kinds of regrets. Because... 
what God said about that turned out to be true. And it was destructive. And it took from them many things that could have been theirs and that God wanted to be theirs. As we walk through this, I want you to understand we only got one life to live. You have one and only one life on this earth. And with everything that, that God gives this church, with everything that God has put within my heart and everything in God's heart, He wants you to live that life well. And kind of everybody's life ends up to either be well, if you think of it like, like a funnel. And some people, the longer they live, kind of the narrower their life gets because of the choices that they've made. And the less full and the less rich it is. And the more regrets they have and the fewer fulfillments they have and the fewer opportunities they now possess because of the choices that they've made in life. And other people, you just flip that around backwards. And the longer they live, the richer their life is, and the more opportunities they have, even though they're getting older, still the more opportunities they have, and their circle of influence is getting larger and larger, and the circle of people that appreciate them and that they appreciate gets larger and larger. Now, which way do you want to live? And I want to live with an ever-increasing circle of influence, an ever-increasing circle of significance and fulfillment. I think we all do. Well, God has provided a way for us to make that happen. But there are certainly some things that you and I need to know in order for that to happen. Because if we don't understand these, yeah, try as hard as we, as we might. It just won't work. Now, you heard a principle this morning in the video. You heard a verse, and I'm going to give you that verse, and I'm going to give you another verse that we taught through about two years ago here. And uh, then, I'm going to, then I'm going to give you four laws that govern your behavior and mine uh, that have to do with that. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. I want you to circle the words above all else. I don't need to explain that to you. You know what this means? Where do you put this on your priorities list? At the very top, right? Above all else. Guard your heart. I want you to look at the title of this message. It says, heartbeat, I must be what? Alert. I'll tell you what, if your job is to guard, you better be alert, right? One of the things that I do in this town is, is I do chaplain work with the police and fire department. I can tell you, every time I go on a ride-along with, with, with a local policeman, they say the same thing to me, and that is, if I'm not alert, the bad guy goes home and I don't. That's just how it works. So I have to be in this state of hyper-awareness. Because I never know when I pull a car over because the taillight's out, 
I never know when I approach that car who's in that car what they might be planning to do. I mean, it can turn upside down in a heartbeat. I must be alert. Well, it's very important for you. Do you realize you never know when a temptation is going to blindside you? You don't know. Do you get to choose your temptations? I don't. I I can tell you, I've never had a morning where I woke up in the morning and said, God, would you send me a fresh batch of temptation today? Preferably in this area. It just comes. It comes as a part of life. And that's why our hearts and our lives can change in a heartbeat. I remember being with uh, a cop when we got a, we got a call to a to a house where there was a, a a person who was sick and potentially dying, but they didn't know if there was any foul play. And it was our job to go and clear the house to make sure there were no bad guys there. And we got there, um, and uh, there were no bad guys. But unfortunately, a lady in her forties had passed away. had all the signs of being a drug overdose. And uh, so we called the investigations, and they came in and called the coroner, and, we, and the coroner was busy, so we had to wait for two or three hours. And by that time, the, the, um, all the investigators had come and gone, and, and um, we just had to stay. I remember walking around that house because there was nothing else to do, and there were pictures on the wall. And I remember walking back in time through that lady's life. In the earliest picture that I saw on the wall, she was about six or eight. There she was with her family on vacation. It looked like Lake Tahoe, probably was. And I remember looking into her little eyes and wondering what could go so wrong that that little six or eight-year-old girl is now laying in there on a bed so badly addicted to drugs that her roommate said she would come out sometimes chewing on her fentanyl patch. Why know this? Somewhere in her life, she got blindsided by a temptation. She let down the guard of her heart And in the end, it took away all the life she had. How sad. How very sad. Guard your heart. Let me give you another one. That, by the way, tells you what not to let in your heart. This verse is going to tell you what to put in there. It says, now fill your minds with these things. Things that are good, that deserve praise. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. Now, there's a great lesson in life if you just had those two passages of Scripture that would give you a lot of guidance in life about what not to think about and what to think about, what not to let in your heart and what to actually invite into your heart and embrace into your heart and into your life. So this morning in the balance of our time, I want to give you the four laws of the human mind or heart. And I hope they stay with you the rest of your life. The first law is this. It's the law of cognition. I become what I think. Don't have the time time to break that out in its fullness for you. But the Bible says very clearly, this is what Jesus taught. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up 
in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now, friend, you and I both have a good side to our heart and an evil side to our heart. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say the good man brings good things out of, good, out of the good that's naturally in his heart. doesn't say that. What does it say? He brings good things out of the good that's what? Stored. How to get in there? Ah, who stored it? He got in there because he invited it in there and he kept it in there and stored it in there. And nor does it say that the the evil man brings evil out of the evil side of his heart. It says, no, he brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. You see, in the end, we become what we think. You know, there are five steps very clear steps between what you think and what you become. I want to give them to you. There are six words, but five steps between them. Take a look at these words. The first one is this. The words, the word thoughts. My thoughts in many ways give shape to my values. Whatever I decide to think about and concentrate on, whatever I decide to ponder in my life, my thoughts give shape to my values. And if I allow myself to think about certain things, I end up valuing them. If I don't allow myself to think about those things, I don't end up valuing them. My thoughts give shape to my values. My values give shape to my choices. Because we choose along the lines of what we value. Now, I know that we are famous for saying we value one thing and choosing something else. We've all found ourselves doing that. I sent Monica an email from India. And I said, you know, I've realized something. Even though I would tell you and tell many people that my marriage is my highest priority, I've realized that somehow I've let it slip down the priority scale. Too many other things I've allowed to crowd in. So I want to take care of that. I don't want to put it back up where it belongs. Why? Because my, my, my values determine my choices. I'm by looking at the choices that I was making with how I spend my time, I realized that I had let the value of my marriage slip. So thoughts determine values. Values determine choices. Choices determine actions. If you want to know what you value, just get out your most recent bank statement and add it up. It'll tell you what you value. It makes no difference kind of what you say with your mouth. It's wherever you spend your money, wherever you spend your time, that's what you really value because those are the choices that you're making in life. And, and, and your actions determine your habits. If you make an action and you repeat it long enough, it becomes a habit, right? Sure it does. Your habits eventually, if you put enough of them together, they determine your life. So it, can, it all starts with what you decide to think about. 
That's why it's a great thing for you to get up every day and open your Bible and begin to read from God's Word because it starts aiming your thoughts in the right direction. It's not just so you can check off you read your Bible. It's not so some religious duty that kind of goes in one ear and out the other ear. But it's, a, it's the whole idea of getting up in the morning and aiming your thoughts in the right direction. Because if you get your thoughts aimed right, you're going to start by getting your... That will help get your values right. and That will help get your choices right. And that will help get your actions right. And, and, and that will help get your habits well established in life. And eventually those habits will determine your life. So the first law is I, in the end, become what I allow myself to think about. Law number two is this. It's the law of exposure. My mind, my heart is shaped by what it is most exposed to. That's why our text said, and I'll read it to you again, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. You know, I'm convinced that in the United States of America, we don't believe that. Because we purposely and intentionally expose our our, our heart and our life to things we never should. We just do. This, it's a common mistake. Have you ever picked up the paper and asked yourself, how as a culture could we ever experience something like what took place at Columbine High School or Virginia Tech University? Or oh, that list could just go on and on and on. How, how do we get like that? Interestingly enough, on March the 31st, right here in this auditorium, Uh, God willing, there's going to be about 500 people. And uh, we're going to be taught by a fellow by the name of Lieutenant David Grossman, who has dedicated his life to the study of violence and violent behavior in children. Um, And he's dug into it at at a level that's uh, uh, deeper than probably anybody you or I have ever met. And you know one of his conclusions? And he says, the research is undeniable. The more we expose ourselves and our children to violence in movies and video games and so forth, it eventually comes out in our life. Imagine that. What's law number two? It's the law of exposure. And that is, my mind or my heart is shaped by, by what I most expose it to. Let me give you another illustration. It's very easy for us in any form of entertainment medium to get ourselves exposed to all sorts of immorality. That's not hard to find out there, is it? In fact, it's kind of hard to find entertainment that doesn't have that at some part of its core. Do you realize that takes a toll on all of us? We get desensitized to the destructive power of sin. Very much so. Now, what does God say? Guard your heart. You've got to be careful what you allow yourself to be exposed to. 
Because if you just drop that guard for an instant, you can be blindsided by a temptation. And I know, we all think, that's never going to happen to me, right? No, I, I'm different. I know right from wrong. And even though I watch things that kind of tend to promote wrong values, it's not going to happen to me because I know right from wrong. I'm, I'm a strong individual. That'll never happen to me. Now, I want you to go straight to God's Word. I want you to understand a principle that God says to us that I know is not politically correct, but it really is important in life. Take a look at Romans chapter 16. God says, I want you to be wise in what is good. And what's the next word? Simple concerning evil. Now, the word that's translated simple there literally means uninformed and inexperienced. You know, you don't have to go through life and purposely expose yourself to how the wrong side lives. You just don't have to do that. God says, in fact, There's a blessing to going through life and not knowing what it's like. For instance, now, I'm one of those guys that went through grade school, junior high, high school, college, and all that stuff. Never tried any form of narcotic at all. And when people would say to me, Man, Ron, you ought to try it. You might like it. My standard answer was, that's precisely why I don't want to try it. Because I might like it. And if I did, I'd get hooked. And if I tried it and I didn't like it, I didn't miss anything, right? Now, God knows I have enough temptations of my own, all right? That was just one that I managed to live and, and, and never succumb to. But the bottom line is, God says, when something is good, I want you to get as much experience about it, be as knowledgeable as you can be about it. But when God says something is evil, don't ever think you need to try it or you haven't fully lived. Because you'll end up giving away a significant portion of your life to something that's destructive because instead of following God's advice to be inexperienced about that, you decided you had to experience that in order to live. That's, that's law number two. Let's take a look at law number three. Just in case you're in doubt, I love law number three. It's the law of universality, and that is no one is exempt from laws number one and law number two. Just in case you think that you are a special case and that this won't happen to you and you can expose your heart and your mind to all sorts of things, but because you know right from wrong, that's never going to happen to you. The Bible is very, very clear. It happens to everyone. It says, look here in Galatians chapter 6, do not deceive yourselves. By the way, who's the most likely person to deceive you? You. Don't deceive yourself. And then he goes on to say, no one makes a fool of God. Who was it who said, guard your heart? God said that, right? 
Who was it that said, fill your heart with good things? God said that. Who was it that said, with regard to evil, I want you to be simple or inexperienced and basically uninformed about that because I want you to be able to live in purity and not be tainted by all this stuff that will steal your joy and rob you of life. It was God who said all of that. Now the Bible says, don't be deceived. No one makes a fool of God. In other words, all those things are going to come true. And then here's the application. A person will reap exactly what he plants. If he plants in the field of his natural desires, you know what that is? Well, I didn't put the verse up there, but if you, if you wanted to put it, you could put James chapter 1, verses kind of 12, 13, and 14 right in there. The Bible says, every one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. So if I plant in the field of my own desires, then from that field, he will gather a harvest of what? Death. Well, you talk, that's not even half a life. Yeah, I'll be the living dead. However, if he plants in the field of the Spirit, he will from the Spirit gather the harvest of eternal life. Wow. So you know what God says? Don't be deceived. Don't think it's different with you. Don't think that you can do things that might be harmful to other people, but you're strong and you know what you're doing and you've got, you're spiritually aware and you've got all this stuff. The bottom line is, you and I have what the Bible calls a fallen human condition. Let me give you another example out of my own life. Oftentimes people will write on the prayer card or they'll phone in and say, Hey, I'd like to meet with the pastor. I have a very simple rule in my life. I don't meet with the woman anywhere at any time for any reason except at the church office during regular business hours when other people are there. I'll be happy to meet with you, but it has to be under those conditions. Why do I do that? Because I realize I'm a fallen human being and I could get blindsided by a temptation at any time. Do I think I'm likely to follow that temptation? No, but I'm a human. So you know what it means? Take a look at what this means as it goes in real life. And that is because I am fully human, all of the laws of human behavior apply fully to me. Now, you, you realize that the three words I had you write in there all have to do with universality, right? Because I'm fully human. Are you fully human? Shake your head like this. Yes, you are. All right? You are fully human. All right? Secondly, that means all of the laws of human behavior fully apply to you, just like they do to me. And if I think for a minute I can walk outside the laws that govern human behavior, that God warns me about, I'm just putting myself in a place of great vulnerability and I'm like Humpty Dumpty, I'm getting ready to fall. It's only a matter of time. You ever wonder how so many pastors could fall to moral failure? that ever cross your mind? Sure it does. Well, that's how it happens. The pastor thinks other people succumb to that temptation, but I'm a pastor. I've dedicated my life to God. 
I'm not going to fall. Well, better to guard your heart than try to put it together after it falls apart, right? Yeah, guard your heart. So let's take a look at law number four. Law number four is, is, is the law of choice. I have the power to choose my thoughts. And that's why that passage in Philippians chapter 4, now fill your minds with, these, with things that are good. I want you to circle the word fill. That's not for other people to do. Who's supposed to do that for your mind? You are. You have the power to fill your mind with, with whatever you decide to fill it. Fill your mind with, the, with things that are good, that deserve praise. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. Why? Because what was law number one? I become what I think. Wow. Well, if I put all this good stuff in my mind, guess what I become? A good person. You think, golly, I came to church to hear that. I think I could have figured that out. You'd be surprised how often we live the opposite of that. We need to be reminded of something that I think in our heart of hearts we kind of all know. Fill your heart. Fill your mind. I want to talk with you for just a minute about the difference between what I would call incidental exposure and food for thought. All of us have both. Just in the course of everyday living, you get exposed to things that are both good and evil. You turn on your TV... And the next thing you know, you're watching a football game, cheering for the Steelers, right? <laughs> Big time Steeler fan, all right? So you're cheering for the Steelers, and the next thing you know, they pan over to the cheerleaders. What's up with that? And they're not wearing shoulder pads either. <laughs> what happens? You get exposed to images that probably you'd be better off without. Yeah. That's incidental exposure. And being a red-blooded male, I kind of know how that works. The next thing you know, you take a little break from from the game. Because usually when they pan to the cheerleaders, they're going to commercials. You don't care about the commercials anyway, right? And if you're not careful... What started out as incidental exposure becomes food for thought. Are you on board? You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Sure. It doesn't just happen in that field. It happens in any field. Okay? Let's just say that you're struggling with money. And money's a little bit tight. But you got a brand new charge card. And you're watching the Food Channel. And you're all into this recipe, and they cut away to a commercial, and the commercial they cut away to is this brand new thing that you just can't possibly live without in your kitchen. And what started out as incidental exposure ends up on your next monthly statement. Because it ended up to be food for thought. Yeah. This is down where we all live. You have the power 
to choose what you're going to put into your mind. And whatever you decide to put in there eventually comes out in your life. And as we close, I want to guide us to three statements. And, and if you're willing to do so, I want you to read them out loud with me together. Because they express the heart and soul of what we've talked about today. And as you know, you have one and only one life to live on this earth. And it's God's desire that you would live it with no regrets. And God's provided a way for you to be forgiven of what you've done so you don't have to live with regrets. But the bottom line is, you have to sow in your life in such a way that the harvest you reap is a harvest you want. And not as a pastor I heard say one time, you know what we all love to do? Sow our wild oats and pray for a crop failure. <laughs> it's not how life works, all right? We will reap what we sow. So would you please read these out loud with me, please? Number one, let's read. I cho- this is my one and only life on this earth. I cannot afford to waste it. Number two. This is my one and only life on this earth. It determines my eternity. And number three. This is my one and only life on this earth. I commit myself to living it correctly. Let's pray. Father, I pray along with every person in this audience this morning that we would believe that with all of our hearts. That this is our one and only life and we cannot afford to waste it in things that make no difference. That this is our one and only life on this earth and that it determines our eternity. And Father, that this is our one and only life on this earth and that we're committing ourselves to living it correctly so that we can live without regrets so that our life will have an ever-increasing circle of influence and joy and significance. And Lord, we come to you this morning, first of all, for the things that we've done in our life that are on the wrong path. We ask two things. Number one, that you would grant forgiveness in our lives. Thank you for your grace and your goodness and the gift of your Son that allows us to be forgiven. But secondly, Father... Our prayer is that you would allow us to heal from the damage that's been done by the wrong things that we've done in life and that you would give us the opportunity as much as we can to make restitution for that. And then, Father, we pray that you would aim our focus and our attention on what you have in store for us. Would you show us how to embrace into our lives things that are good and healthy and wholesome, and wonderful and true and worthy of praise. And God, would you give us grace this week to be alert, to be on guard so that we wouldn't get blindsided by some temptation that would eventually destroy us. Thank you for the wonderful teaching from your word. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.